U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations and Republican presidential candidate, Governor Nikki Haley. Uh, Governor Haley, thanks for joining us. So I want to ask you about the CNN reporting about President Biden's increasing frustrations with Benjamin Netanyahu, with Biden feeling that Netanyahu is ignoring his advice, obstructing humanitarian relief efforts in Gaza. What would uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu listen to? Why would Pr Prime Minister Netanyahu listen to you, a President Haley, if he is ignoring advice from President Biden? Well, if you're going to be a friend, you should be a friend. Um, what you shouldn't do is go sit there and put conditions on a friend who's been brought to her knees. Israel went through a tragic um, situation October 7th, and Biden said that he was going to support him. And yet all he's done is try and lecture them and dictate and tell them what to do. We didn't want anybody to tell us what to do after 9-11. We knew exactly what we needed to do, and we knew exactly what we wanted to do to make sure that evil never happened again. You know, I've watched this story before, Jake. Everybody runs to the side of Israel when she gets hit, but there no one's, no one's anywhere to be found when she hits back. And you have to look at the situation. Why is Biden so disappointed with Israel? Why is he saying Israel's not listening to him? Why isn't he disappointed with Hamas? Why isn't he disappointed with Iran? If you're sitting there worried about what's happening to the people in Gaza, as we all are, why isn't the first question, why isn't Egypt taking them? Why isn't Turkey taking them? Why isn't Qatar taking them? If you're meeting you know, with, with the leaders of Jordan, why aren't Jordan taking them? Why is it Israel's problem? to deal with that. You know why none of the Arab countries are taking them? Is because they don't know which ones are Hamas and which ones aren't. And they don't want to take that threat on themselves. So why would you ask Israel to take that threat on? It's unfair. It's not wise. Let Israel finish the job. They care about human life. You see that in the fact that they tried to get these two hostages out. We need to let them finish their job. It's interesting that you raised the topic of after 9-11, we didn't want to listen to what any other country uh, had to say about how we would respond. But just philosophically, shouldn't we have? I mean, it's hard to look at what we, the United States did in terms of Iraq uh, and then, of course, the 20-year the war in Afghanistan and not think that we could have taken some advice. I'm just, this, I wasn't planning on asking this question, but, no. but philosophically, what do you think? So I'm not talking about Iraq or Afghanistan. What I'm talking about is the emotions we felt after that is understand that we were deeply wounded, we were deeply angry, and all we wanted to do was to make sure that we made a wrong right. That's how Israel feels right now. So first understand that they're hurt and they're bruised and they're broken. Second, understand that Hamas has said that when they get the chance, they're going to do this to Israel again. And so Israel's biggest concern is how do they protect the Israeli people from this ever happening again? Biden needs to understand that if he expects Israel to listen to them. Instead, he's lecturing them. That's not the way you're going to get Israel to listen. You have to look at what Israel's top agenda is. It's to protect the Israeli people. Biden has to show that what he's asking them to do will protect the Israeli people. And he should want that for them. Instead, he's so focused on the people in Gaza, yet he hasn't gone to any of the regional friends to say, why aren't you doing anything to get Hamas to stand down? Why aren't you doing anything to get Iran to stop? Let's not forget, Iran is at the center of all of this. Why has Joe Biden not put sanctions back down on Iran fully? He's yet to do that. That's what he should be focused on, not on sitting there telling Israel what to do. So uh, Donald Trump, as you know, over the weekend uh, suggested that he would tell Russia to do whatever the hell they want to any NATO member 
uh, that doesn't spend sufficient uh, on defense spending, um, which is part of the NATO agreement. Uh, a number of Republicans have, have come out and backed Trump's comments today. I'm not sure if you saw yesterday Senator Marco Rubio saying that, look, Donald Trump doesn't talk the way somebody who's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations talks, but he was just talking about getting uh, these other NATO countries to start pulling their weight. Why do you think so many Republicans have downplayed this um, and you have found it alarming? Well, first of all, in the administration, he talked many times about getting out of NATO behind closed doors and publicly. So that's just a fact. But the idea that he would side with a thug, the idea that Trump is saying that not only is he not going to defend our allies who were with us after 9-11, by the way, but that he's also going to tell Putin to go ahead and encourage him to invade them is unthinkable. The idea that he is siding with a man who kills his opponents, the idea that he's siding with Putin, who's holding Evan Gersovich just for doing his job, the idea that he would side with a man who has made it very clear that he wants to defeat America. One, as personally, as the wife of a combat veteran, that's the last thing you want to hear from someone who wants to be commander in chief, because that means he's not going to watch out for the men and women in the military. Secondly, that means he's not going to watch out for our friends. Do the NATO countries need to pay more? Yes, we should always push them to, to carry their weight. But at the same time, understand NATO is a success story. For 75 years, we haven't had war there. And more than that, Russia is completely intimidated by NATO. They've never invaded a NATO country. They've always invaded those that are not in NATO. Georgia, you, you know, Ukraine, Moldova, those are the ones they've invaded. So not only is Russia intimidated by NATO, China's intimidated by NATO. So why would you go and put our allies and our military in harm's way by saying something so careless? It's what happens when he gets off the teleprompter for two minutes. He becomes unhinged. He becomes undisciplined. And he goes and he starts to say these wacky things. That's what scares everybody about him. You, you noted that you are a, a Blue Star wife. Your, your husband, Michael, uh, is a major with the South Carolina Army National Guard, currently deployed in the Horn of Africa. Um, in, that, in those remarks on Saturday, President Trump uh, also questioned your husband's whereabouts as part of his campaign speech. Um, I want to play that, too. Where's her husband? Oh, he's away. He's away. Where, what happened to her husband? What happened to her husband? Where is he? He's gone. Your husband uh, apparently had access to Twitter. Uh, he responded on social media, posting a meme that reads, the difference between humans and animals. Animals would never allow the dumbest ones to lead the pack. At least I assume that's a response. Uh, wh why do you think this is what Donald Trump is choosing to focus on right now? And, and um, were you surprised of, of the cheering from the South Carolina audience for a smearing of a, of a South Carolina service member? I mean, the first thing I'll say is it's disgusting. And let's take it and, and move me and Michael out of it. If you're going to go and criticize a combat veteran, you criticize one veteran, you're criticizing all of them. But this continues to be a pattern of what he's doing. Whether he's sitting there calling them suckers, whether he's in Arlington Cemetery saying, why would they do this? Not understanding that, no, my husband is not with me in a presidential campaign because he's serving our country. I'm incredibly proud of him and every man and woman that serve for our country and are willing to shed blood for our country. But the idea that he thinks that you can talk about this so carelessly is a problem. 
Because if you don't understand that it's their shoulders we stand on, if you don't understand that everybody knows someone who has either lost their life or served this country in a way that's allowed us to keep our freedoms, that is not someone who deserves to be commander in chief. Because if you don't respect our military, how should we think you're going to respect them when it comes to times of war and prevent war and keep them from going? It's just, it was awful. Everything about it was awful. Everyone should condemn it. This isn't anything partisan. If you don't have respect for our military and our veterans, God help us all if that's the case. So I first became aware of how he talks about service members with whom he might disagree or service members who's sacrifice he doesn't understand. Back in 2015, when he said that John McCain wasn't a war hero because he was captured, he prefers people who weren't captured. Um, and it became very clear that this is just how he, t I mean, I was shocked by it because obviously I grew up with Reagan as president, but um, I, I was shocked that, that the Republican Party rallied around him and he you know, became the, the nominee, uh, even though he talked that way about a genuine war hero who was a POW for five and a half years who could have left early but didn't because that wasn't the honorable thing to do. But you went to work for him. Now, I understand a lot of patriotic Americans went to work for Trump, hoping to be ballast in the ship and keep, the, you know, keep things um, steady for the United States of America. But you did go work for him after he made comments like this about other veterans. Can you just explain that decision? Were you just trying to make, trying to do what was right for the country? Like, how did you, how did you wrap your brain around it? Well, I think at first when he said things, you know, in 2015, you didn't know whether it was a slip of the tongue or whether this is who he was. I was proud to serve America in his administration. That's who I worked for, is the people of America. And to serve in his administration, I was proud to do that. There were many times that I said to him that he was his own worst enemy. There are many times when I picked up the phone or I showed up in his office and told him that something he was doing was not right. I always told him the truth. I always spoke up for what I thought a strong America should be. And quite honestly, he always listened to me and he was very respectful because he knew I said the truth and he knew that I was looking out for America. The problem is, here you have 70% of Americans who have said they don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. The majority of Americans don't want Trump. The majority of Americans don't want Biden. And now you have 59% of Americans who have said that Trump and Biden are too old. At what point are we gonna say we need a new generational leader? 